are Locked On Wildcats. Your daily podcast on the Arizona Wildcats. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks for keeping it Locked On Wildcats. I'm your host, Mike Luke. Joined in studio by Mr. John Brogan. And by in studio, I mean that he is literally right next to me. Hello, Brogan. How are you doing? Hey, Mike. How's it going? Yeah, long time no see. All right, so we're going to talk a lot of Juve hoops this uh, this next 20 minutes or so. And the first news that we're going to talk about, and it's not necessarily that it's breaking news, but it's certainly news, is that Jordan Brown has entered the transfer portal. Jordan Brown is the epitome to me of a solid college basketball player, but this is not going to be a loss that I think that anybody's really going to feel in any substantive way. Yeah, I think this one's a little surprising to me, given that when Arizona got transfer Omar Balu from Gonzaga, you thought he was more Christian Coloco than Jordan Brown, so I think if anybody expected a transfer, that maybe it was Coloco, but again, you've got Tabellus, you've got Coloco, you've got Balu, so Jordan Brown being the fourth big in that mix... It doesn't surprise me that somebody transferred. A little surprised it was Jordan Brown. Yeah, and Brown's an interesting case because when he came to the U of A, I was always a little circumspect. And it's not that I had seen him and I had any kind of great knowledge about him. But generally when a guy's a top five recruit nationally, then they kind of fall down to that top 10. Then they kind of go to the 15 to 20, 25 range. It's generally one of two things. Somebody either caught up with you or you just didn't really progress to the extent, but people know you still have skills, so at the same time, they don't want to look really dumb by dropping you down another level. And I think that's what we saw here with Jordan Brown. Yeah, and then you add to that, he goes to Nevada, which again, top 25 schools will go to mid-major programs periodically. But at Nevada, he barely plays. Then he comes to Arizona, has a redshirt season, and then comes out in his first season in Arizona, starts about half the games, averages about eight and seven and so I think at this point Jordan Brown is just kind of is what he is he's a serviceable big maybe he's better suited as a backup maybe he'll go start for a smaller school but I think at Arizona next year with the way that Tommy Lloyd wants to play I think minutes were going to be limited for him next year. And you look across the roster too and you look at the big men and we'll be talking about that in a little bit you've got a lot of minutes that are already spoken for. Azulis Tabellis newsflash is going to be playing 30 minutes a game period and I don't know exactly how that center position is going to play out but if you get a guy like an Arthur Kaluma, which hint hint that does open up another spot for him he's going to be playing minutes so I don't really know outside of maybe that 10 15 18 minute role that Jordan Brown had this year that he's going to be in anything other than that role and I think going to a smaller school now he's a power five player but as a starter, I don't think he's a power five, top 25 type player. And I think that's what's going to bear itself out. If he were to go to a place like Oregon State, if he were to go to a place like Nebraska, he'd be great there. But at U of A, when you've got top 15 expectations, I just don't know that he was going to be the guy that was ever going to be in that spot. Yeah, and I think we're, what we're seeing is Lloyd transforming the roster without us knowing what the end result's going to be. But he's clearly creating space for him to be able to, I think, two things. One, bringing his own guys that fit his style, fit his system. And then also, maybe there's the expectation that they might be limited to a scholarship or two less in the future. So he might just be trying to clear things out now, get his kind of solid base and foundation of guys. And this is just another move that, that's in support of that. You know what? One thing, though, that we do need to stop, and again, we have a new coaching staff now, so it's probably won't be talking about it a lot. 
what a fraud the gold jersey is. Every offseason, we would hear that either Jordan Brown has won every gold jersey or uh, Mark Tollefson has won four gold jerseys. The gold jersey was essentially the kiss of death and I think a way for Coach Miller in the past to probably try to buoy somebody that maybe just isn't quite that good. So the gold jersey, sayonara. Yeah, Adia has a gold jersey, so I don't think we completely get rid of it. Tommy Lloyd will have some variation of who the best practice player is. We just have to hope that he means it when he says it's the seventh guy in the rotation. The seventh guy in the rotation. So now that Jordan Brown is gone, you've obviously got another roster spot. We talked about Azulis Tabellis. Now let's keep it t- going on the, at the center position. Christian Coloco, to me, is a, a guy that I think at this stage in the game we know what he is. Now you and I talked about this a lot this pa- or between his freshman and sophomore year. That guys like Christian Coloco, and again, I totally get that he didn't have the ability to be able to have a full offseason. That certainly hindered him. I'm not going to dispute that in the least. The problem, though, with Coloco is that he didn't really come back with any noticeable improvements. And generally, guys like that that are new to basketball that make that next step, they come back and they... While not looking like an NBA All-Star, they look they look different. And the issues that Coloco had were still very noticeable in that the hands were not great, the basketball IQ, the wherewithal was just not good. So yes, he could block some shots, he could get some rebounds, but I think we kind of know what Christian Coloco is right now. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. He's just more of a probably about a 15-minute-a-game guy that, depending on matchups, plays a little bit more, plays a little bit less. Yeah, and I think the, the and I think the wild card in all of this is, you know, Tommy Lloyd's style. You don't necessarily know what he's gonna be. I think it's easy to look at Gonzaga and the style they play and say, okay, that might be what we see at the beginning. But he's gonna evolve quickly. If you're an assistant coach who becomes a head coach or a head coach at a smaller school that goes to a bigger school, you're gonna have your own style. He's not just gonna be Mark Few 2.0. A lot of the principles will remain the same, but he's going to have his own spin and his own twist. So it'll be interesting to see how Coloco functions outside of Miller's system and in a new system. And then can he have a bigger impact? Is he ever going to be 15 points a game on offense? No, we know that. But does he have a bigger impact defensively? Is he a better rebounder than maybe we saw? Because, again, we're not just walling up in the pack line. We're actually aggressively trying to block shots and things like that. So I think his impact could actually be a little more given the system. But in general... He's going to be a defender. He's going to be a roll, a rebounder. He's going to be a roller to the rim. He's going to get some putbacks, some dunks, and that'll kind of be who he is. And you look at the Gonzaga teams in the past, almost all the big men that they incorporate are guys that generally play a, a more effective offensive style, I guess. You don't really look at any Gonzaga big man and say, man, that's a guy right there that's not going to be able to do anything with it gets the ball in the post. Now, things certainly can change. But it doesn't feel like Coloco really fits into that template of what Tommy Lloyd slash Mark Few were looking to do with when they were at least at Gonzaga. Yeah, if you look at Gonzaga's bigs, you go from Karnowski to Petrosev to Timmy, right? That spans about seven or eight years. And you've got bigs who can post up and get you an easy bucket. They're really, really effective screeners. And they've got some element of handle on the perimeter. With Karnowski, obviously he couldn't dribble, but he was a pretty effective passer mm-hmm. from the high post. Petrosev was a little bit of both. Timmy obviously made way more versatile on the perimeter. But in Gonzaga's offense and what will be Lloyd's offense to start, you've got to be good with the ball. You've got to be able to pass. You've got to be able to set good screens. So, so Coloco will have some of that, 
um, but he's going to be missing a lot of the handle, which is going to limit him. Why don't we talk a little bit coming up then about the perimeter, because we've got a pretty good idea now about where everything at least stands from the wing. But the one thing that I can tell everybody here, though, is that John Brogan, a guy that makes quite a bit more money than me, is on to rockauto.com. And the great thing about rockauto.com is that for a simple man like myself, you can navigate it. For somebody that's on a little bit of a higher plane, like Mr. John Brogan 1290, he can navigate it. And I know that his lovely wife Jessica's utilizing it as well. And that's the thing. It's a family environment right there. And the great thing about Rock Auto is that you can stay rock solid with rockauto.com. Thanks for keeping it locked on, Wildcats. I'm your host, Mike Luke. Friendly reminder that if you think Arizona basketball is better than some people think, then you should probably put in that wager at betonline.ag. And let's talk about it. On the perimeter right now. I feel fairly good about some of the wings. Obviously, Benedict Matherin is going to be a guy that's going to play 30 minutes a game. This is going to be his NBA audition. I don't think that anybody has any disputes, and I think actually he's going to fit in well to what Tommy Lloyd, not Tommy Floyd, wants to do out there, and that he's a pretty good shooter. He's not necessarily creative off the bounce, but he's that kind of guy. He's really good. And I think Daylon Terry if he can improve his shooting a little bit, is going to be that kind of cerebral player that we've seen that guys like Tommy Lloyd are able to utilize at Gonzaga. Those are two guys that I think are going to have to make a big move. But we got to talk about the guard position because right now the Cats are razor thin right there. You've got Kerr. Kerr's good, and let's be honest, if there's a more Gonzaga player on this roster than Kerr, I'd love to see it. But Arizona's either you got to get Ty Ty Washington or you got to get Nolan Hickman or you've got to get somebody in that portal because right now that's the position you look at, Brogan, and you're like, it's pretty dicey. Yeah, and if you think about from from a recruit or a transfer's perspective, you get to go to a well-known brand with Arizona basketball. You get to start. There's no real competition for minutes. So it's going to be an appealing spot for someone to land. Um, I think Arizona's probably still the favorite for Ty Ty. Kentucky's making a push, obviously, with Nolan Hickman's decommitment. But again, with Arizona, you get a couple things, right? You've got familiarity with some of the players in the, you know, on the team currently. You're an hour and a half from where his parents are. And so Arizona's got some things working for him there. Um, but you're right. Even if they get Ty Ty, there's still one or two transfers or recruits. There's not many recruits out there that can fill in at the one or the two. They've got to add somebody to give you some depth because you can't have Ty Ty and Kirk Kreese playing 35 minutes a game with Matherin as your backup, too. That's just not going to come. And this is where the transfer portal has changed things. We've talked about it, but I think it's incredibly important to be able to reemphasize here. How the transfer portal changed everything, though, is you can essentially recruit without breaking any rules or challenging anything. And this is what I mean, that Tommy Lloyd doesn't need to put out there that, oh, hey, by the way, I got a spot open right here for a lead guard because these kids are smart enough. So let's just say, for example, that you're a kid right now at, let's just use San Francisco as an example. You're probably a little bit better than your level, but you're not like an NBA prospect. But you look at it and you're like, man, I want to go play in the Pac-12. I want to play in a bigger conference. The great thing about it is, is you can look at rosters right now, and if you enter the portal, then you can start being recruited. Now, you can always go back to the school you want, but if you're, you are said point guard from San Francisco averaging 17 points and five assists a game, you can essentially reopen your recruitment, and you know what? If I don't like my options, I can go back. So that's where the transfer portal over the last year to two years has changed college basketball upside down, and I think you're going to continue to see that. 
I think it's important to note that the way you describe the portal only really works if you're one of the top two or three players in your current team. Mm-hmm. If you're the sixth man at San Francisco, you the portal, they're not taking you back, though. Right. They're going to be like, okay, you can go, and I'll replace you with a recruit or something like that. So, yeah, if you're Taj Edey, and you're the best player at San Francisco, average of 17 a game. Or Santa Clara. Or Santa Clara, sorry. <laughs> and and you end up going to, you know, you open your recruitment, you're, you're a transfer, you can go to USC. They're definitely taking him back if he decided, hey, you know what, I didn't like what's out there, I'm going to come back. Um, the thing that's interesting about Arizona, though, is... I think Matherin can shoot the ball well enough. He can create a little bit. I think Terry can initiate offense a lot better than what we saw last year. Because his ball handling is one of his strengths. As is his passing. As is his passing. So Arizona needs depth from just a normal depth perspective. They need Ty Ty because they need somebody who can not only be their point guard, but who's an impact player. But they're going to be able to score points. They're going to be able to run offense with the guys they got. But they have no depth. Foul trouble. Injuries. Practice. You can't practice with seven bigs and two guards. And so they're going to need to hit the transfer market hard just for some kind of basic things that you might take for granted, not to mention what they put on the court. And if you can get, say, two or three fifth-year guys who aren't even that great, but like you said, you provide depth in practice. Because, honestly, a lot of minutes are on this team right now are spoken for. Now, again, there are there are minutes available, but like we talked about, Julius Tabellis, 30 minutes plus. Uh, Benedict Mather in 30 minutes plus. Kerr, ready or not, probably going to be 25 to 30 minutes. Dalen Terry, who we're going to talk a little bit about later in the week, is a guy that I think could really make that next move because he has a lot more ability than he's shown that he showed this past year. So you've got some minutes that are already spoken for, but at the same time, Brogan, you probably got, if you're looking at a 200-minute game from the five positions, you probably got 80 minutes, 60 to 80 minutes, that are available to somebody out there that's good, whether that's Ty Ty Washington, whether that's Nolan Hickman, whether that's somebody else that we don't know. Now, someone asked me on Twitter, and I thought this was an interesting point. When you look at the things about Ty Ty Washington, and we're both all in on Ty Ty, mm-hmm. that we want him here. And it was an interesting question that was posed, though, where the question was, Ty Ty is, when you watch him, he's a flashy, ball-dominant guy. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's the way most high school point guards are. When you look at Gonzaga, they never really had the flashy ball-dominant guy. It generally was always guys, you know, Jalen Suggs, not a point guard per se. But you didn't see a lot of, you know what, I'm going to ISO here for six, seven dribbles and get past my guy. Is that any kind of rub that you would worry about? Or is that anything that Tommy Lloyd, not Tommy Floyd, can't uh, can't sell him on? Yeah, I think there's a couple things, right? James McKinjo just came for Arizona and is the most ball-dominant guard they've had in a while. Mm-hmm. So you could easily just say, hey, look at last year what we had with Akinjo. You can come in and be that guy. Secondly, if you were to go back and watch Jalen Suggs in high school, I think you would have the same impression that he's ball-dominant. If you were to look at Andrew Nemhart at Florida, I think you would say, oh, he had the ball in his hands a lot at Florida. I think what you saw with Gonzaga's system was getting players to buy in that, hey, we've got talent on this entire roster, and so the way we win the most we can is to have the ball move, not have the ball stick, not run a bunch of isos. Our system's not built for that. And so I think with Ty Ty, he can play off the ball, he can shoot, he can create. He doesn't have to necessarily be the point guard who's going to bring the ball up and initiate offense for 15 seconds before it gets going. And so I think it's more about selling him on the vision of, hey, we're going to develop you to be an NBA player, and we're going to play in this 
open run-and-gun system where sometimes you're going to have the ball a lot and be able to make plays in ISO, and sometimes you're going to be coming off screens and catching and shooting. And so I think if you're just a player in general who's really good at basketball, that's closer to what you're doing in AAU minus a little bit of the ISO, and so I think that still appeals to you. And a lot of the allure to Kentucky, I think, is... It's Kentucky, obviously. Mm. But what Tommy Lloyd can sell Ty Ty Washington, and this is a little bit of a harder sell, mainly because no kid goes in anywhere. I mean, you played college basketball. No kid goes in anywhere and says to themselves, well, man, all these guys in front of me are way better. Hopefully I can play 10 minutes. Everybody thinks that they're better than the person there, especially when the coach is telling them. Kentucky's obviously a different animal because even though you just lost another kid right now that declared for the draft, you're still going to have five, six McDonald's All-Americans. Where Tommy Lloyd can basically tell Ty Ty that, dude, here's the keys, man. I mean, I don't have another option. So as long as you don't come in and mess something up, you know, on or off the court, you're going to be getting your 30 minutes a game where John Calipari might say that. But you could still look at the roster and say, well, there's some other kids here that he probably said that to as well. Yeah, and if I'm Arizona and I'm recruiting for Ty Ty and against Kentucky, I think it's a lot of things you just alluded to is if Ty Ty really believes he's a one-and-done, a two-and-done, come to Arizona, get the keys, play 30, 35 minutes a game, and really showcase your game. Well, by if, the way, do you think do you view him as a one-and-done? I think he's fringe one-and-done. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't think it's an obvious one and done, but I think he could be, especially in the right situation where he can average 17 and 8, for instance. Mm, right. You go to Kentucky, you might play 20 minutes a game. You might average 10 and 4. You might also still go to the NBA as a first-round pick because the competition is so... It's the Eric Bledsoe thing where John Wall's there, but hey, this guy can also play. Yeah, but if you're tie-tie, you've got to be pretty secure that if you average 10 and 4, that's still going to translate to an NBA draft board. Right. In Arizona... If your skills are there, it's going to shine as bright as it could possibly be. You're going to be on TV a ton. Arizona brand will carry you, and you're getting to display at 35 minutes a game. And I think what helps him as well in this spot is that if he does come to Arizona, you're you're going to be on a team. Arizona with Ty Ty Washington's a top 25 team, period. I don't care what anybody says. It's a top 25 team. It's not Kentucky, obviously. Well, after last year, who really knows <laughs> at this point? It's not Kentucky, but it still is a team that is very, that is very high up there on the radar. And... But you have the one specific set of skills that nobody really has. Now, Kirk Creese at some point might be a point guard. and But when I watched him last year, he's not a guy that I feel comfortable to giving the keys to right now as your 100% lead guard. I think he's better in kind of that one and a half role, which I think Tommy Lloyd would employ this year. So I think Ty Ty, in a weird way, is kind of a nice bridge gap where Kerr gets one more year under his belt, Washington goes off to the NBA, and depending on how Kerr looks, he could be your point guard for the next two years. Yeah, and, and I agree. I think Kerr isn't ready to be the number one point guard, number one guard on a team that is a top 25 team. Mm -hmm. And so Ty Ty's the perfect bridge for that. It gives him another year to really develop, but also flourish in more of an open style where his kind of flair and his game kind of fits. And then next year, you then recruit accordingly depending on where you see Kerr at. If you're uh, like John Brogan or you're like myself or Ty Ty Washington, you look at guys and you say to yourself, you know what, they look like they're working out a little bit. Ty Ty Washington might be consuming built bars. For John Brogan, I'm Mike Luke. Thanks for keeping it locked on Wildcats.